Welcome to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, a production of Hoosier Ag Today and made possible by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, a program of the Indiana Conservation Partnership. Once a month, we'll spotlight the many efforts around Indiana by CCSI and its many partners to improve soil health on Indiana cropland. Here's the host of the Hat Soil Health Podcast, Eric Pfeiffer. The calendar has turned. We are in April now and planting is oh so near. People are getting antsy, I know. And a lot of folks in southern Indiana might already be mobilizing a little bit, getting out there, getting ready to go. So on today's podcast, we want to talk about final planter setup and adjustments for no-till and cover crops. And today we've got a couple of experts on the line to chat with us about it. And first up, I'm going to start with Barry Fisher. Barry, hello. Thank you for joining us. If you would, please introduce yourself. Good morning, Eric. And uh, I'm, I'm Barry Fisher, uh, recently retired after 39 and a half years with the USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service, and most recently the Soil Health Division, and uh, have recently launched a, uh, a, soil, a Fisher Soil Health Consulting and uh, you know, we, my wife and I also operate a farm here in West Central Indiana where we've been doing no-till for 20 plus years and cover crops for 20 plus years. So uh, our, our equipment is smaller because we're a smaller operation. So I can identify with some of the smaller scale operations out there, but I've worked with a lot of the larger operators uh, also. So this should be a fun, fun discussion. Agent AJ and I go way back. And you segue perfectly into our next guest, A.J. Adkins. A.J., hello. Thank you for joining us. Please introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Uh, looking forward to this. So uh, my name's A.J. Adkins. Uh, I uh, live there in Brownsburg, Indiana. Uh, kind of grew up working with Mike Starkey, uh, one of those no-till cover crop uh, guys that a lot of people in the state know. Uh, worked with him since I was... Uh, in junior high, high school age, and uh, worked with planter setups. Uh, with that, got into the you know the no-till with him, trying to get planters working no-till. And then uh, Mike, uh, what 15 years ago, decided to start bringing in some cover crops into the operation. And so with planter setups, uh, made it fun and uh, a little more challenging at times. And so we we failed a few times, probably more than that. Uh, we've uh, worked a few times on it. It's worked well. And then uh, with that, Mike and I kind of started a, a business setting up planners uh, with basically all the failures that we've had trying to learn from that and help other guys hopefully not have those failures and have a little more success. Uh, and then with that, I've started my own business doing that, uh, setting up planners for planning into no-till and then uh, with kind of the idea with cover crops and trying to just marry those ideas together. Uh, and then with that, I also, uh, in the last uh, six years, I've been a full-time employee with Dawn Equipment, uh, setting up planners, the same thing, setting up planners from uh, anywhere from New York out to Kansas, Nebraska, and California, and get to see a lot of different soil types, a lot of different practices, and uh, just trying to take different ideas from other areas, and uh, like I said, marry it together, at, and just trying to make it work for different operations. And AJ, do you have a website or anything? I'll give you a chance to plug that right now if you've got a website you want to point folks to. Yeah, it's uh, ntmagequipment.com, uh, and then uh, I've got that and then a link to a Twitter handle where 
Uh, pretty much all I do on the Twitter handle is talk about uh, cover crops or no-till or strip-till into cover crops, and that's about it. If you like that, it's exciting. If you don't like that, it's going to be pretty boring uh, Twitter feed to, to follow. <laughs> I'm sure it's exciting. We'll 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 get that <laughs> followed. I'll I'll be a follower for sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. Hey, so let's talk about no-till cover crops final planter setup again i i mentioned you know the the calendar has turned here and while we've had some pretty cold weather here the past uh, couple of days to start off april guys are guys and gals are still out there thinking hey it's it's about time to roll here and uh so so let's talk about the folks who haven't made it to the field yet but you know the clock is ticking on finalizing some of that planter tune-up and some of the modifications Barry, I'll start with you. What are the top two things you would tell those farmers to check and adjust before they get out there? Well, you know, when we switch to a no-till system or, you know, even if we get a new planter or we're working on an old planter, there's these final uh, steps that need to be taken before we go to the field. And what we're really trying to achieve is that higher ear count. It's no different than conventional farming. We want every seed placed exactly the same depth and and as close to the same spacing as as possible and so uh as we come from a conventional mindset or or a you know where we're planting behind a soil finisher that you know we may have gotten away with some things that we won't be able to get away with in a no-till situation to accomplish that same goal so so as we're, as we're moving here in the last phases, we're, we want to do some final checks in the field. We want to double check if we've got starter fertilizer. We want to make sure maybe this is a new planter. We want to make sure that that, that starter fertilizer is, placing, uh, is being placed exactly the same distance on every row from the seed so that every seed is not only in the same depth and same spacing, but gets the same environment. And, and, and fertilizer has a lot to do with that same environment. So that's one of the things I'm real particular about is where is that fertilizer being placed? And, and uh, uh, that, that's going gonna, gonna to lead to even not only uh, uh, even emergence, but even, even, even growth in the early stages. So, so that's a big one. I'm also monitoring uh, you know, some of those things, you know, you're going to, you're going to check sensors. You're going to check, you know, you've got to run it out in the field, even though that field's not ready to plant yet, you still got to put it in the ground so that you can check any of the sensors. You know, a lot of these planters have not only, uh, seed drop sensors, but they've got now down pressure sensors and all this. You've got to make sure all of your electronics is, is, is really ready to go. And, uh, uh, but, but those are my two two top things that I'm really going to look. And then, and then, you know, even, even at that, when you go to your very first field where you're first planting, you still have to get off that planter and make sure that it's actually doing what the sensors are telling you. So that's, that's just some of the, the last minute things that I would, that I would be looking at right now. AJ, how about you? Yeah, I'm going to agree with uh, Barry on all of that. That's probably going to be the patterns that I'm probably going to agree with about everything Barry says. Um, but that, that, that the fertilizer is something I don't usually hit on um, talking about, you know, initial setups. And I think what Barry's talking about, that's critical. Uh, no-till cover crop, in-furrow fertilizer, you know, even if it just has to be a two-by-two system or something, is critical to have on there. And that's something a lot of guys think. They parked it last year and it worked. Um, they're going to hook up to the tractor and pull it out this year. And if it worked last year, it's probably going to work 
this year. And that has rarely been the case, especially with fertilizer, uh, depending on what we're using. And uh, sometimes it's, you know, just a plugged orifice or a plugged check valve somewhere where we need to get it cleaned out. But going through each of those, uh, pressure checking the system, what Barry talked about, taking it out, turning the pump on, uh, letting it sit there, run some water through it. A lot of times um, we'll find, you know, a kink hose, we'll find a kink line somewhere and trying to find that today when it's, you know, right now, what, 28, 32 degrees uh, is a lot better trying to find that today than the day where it's 60, 70 degrees and we're ready to go. So going through that system, checking that, um, going through the nuts and bolts of the, you know, the, the planter itself, uh, hydraulic or some kind of down pressure system, what Barry talked about making sure that's dialed in, whether it's, you know, the full hydraulic system, whether it's the airbag uh, system, making sure we don't have uh, any leaks anywhere. You know, if a lot of times we'll find a leak, we'll go through with some kind of soapy, you know, solution where we can spray it over the planter and try to find a, a little bitty air pinhole somewhere uh, so we don't have to fight that all season. Uh, the down pressure springs, making sure those are all intact and uh, the bolt, everything holding the pins, holding that together are in place. Uh, a big thing we usually look at, the first thing is disc openers. Hopefully we've looked at that uh, now earlier in the season. <clears throat> if we need some disc openers, making sure uh, those are good, sharp, and replaced if they need to be replaced. And then, uh, uh, I mean, even new planters, uh, Barry mentioned uh, new planters coming out there. A guy will think he spends all that money on a brand new planter. <clears throat> he should be able to hook it up to his tractor and head straight to the field and, you know, hit 200, 250 bushel easily. And from what I've seen today, that's seldom been, you know, that's seldom been the case. A lot of these, even new planters need some kind of adjustment. Um, it's not uncommon even to see row units, you know, the spacing not dead on 30 inches or 15 inches off a little bit when it gets assembled. I've seen that in the past. Um, the closing wheel tailpiece. A lot of times, even on new planters, depending on how it was set up, is usually kicked one way or the other and is not centered over the strip, uh, over where that seed slot is going to be. So, you know, getting some closing wheel on there, taking it out to the field, like what Barry talked about, take it out to the field, you know, do your pressure check, uh, check the sensors, drop it in the ground without any seed in it, uh, get the disc openers, you know, see what the, the slot looks like, and then make sure that closing wheel tailpiece is centered. A lot of these ones have. Uh, bolts where you can adjust it and you can center it directly over that slot and make sure both the closing wheels are hitting where it needs to be. Uh, so that's something good to do and it gets the neighbors talking. So that's always that's always fun and exciting uh, to be the first guy with the planter out, whether you're playing seed or not, but at least get the neighbors going. And, uh, that's all that matters, really. <laughs> it gets the neighbors going there. They get a little jealous, right? They want to be out there too. Yeah. They've got to run out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Barry, let's talk. You, you mentioned that once you do get out in the field there, uh, you've got to get off off the tractor, you've got to get off the planter, and you've got to talk, uh, you've got to look at some things. So let, let's move to the guys and gals that are in the field, that, that have, have already started, they've already made some of those final adjustments. Uh, for farmers who have burned down their cover crops, what specific things would you tell them to look for? Well, the number one thing, especially as we get some cover crops, you know, these cover crops are growing like crazy right now, or they have been the last week. And, and you know, depending on when we get that burned down in relation to the amount of biomass we had and in relation to when we're going to plant, there, there sometimes is this point where if we've burned it down, we had, we had some pretty good growth happening that 
we're really watching for hair pinning because some of that cover crop residue can be a little rubbery, especially early in the morning when the dews may be still on. And so you're really watching for hair pinning. And a lot of times, uh, maybe, maybe you want to look at just dropping the depth just a little bit to help, help break through that. The other thing that I find when we're planting into cover crops that are a little bit ropey, uh, there are still some producers that are that are using and, and used to using the wavy coulters and, and having a fluted coulter in front of the double disc openers. And I've found that in ropier biomass, that, that rubbery biomass, those are those are actually a hindrance to to getting a good stand. So that's you know, we talk about this a lot, and AJ and I have talked about this at a lot of clinics and stuff, and most no-till producers have removed those wavy cultures uh, at least off their corn planter but as we plant into you know we're using planters in both corn and beans and a lot of times the beans are planting into uh, a little heavier uh, biomass of cover crops and if depending on when that was burned down uh, that that biomass can be kind of rubbery and so so I want to I want to really make sure I'm not hairpinning a lot of, a, a, you know, a lot of that biomass down in the seed slot. Anything specific, AJ, that you would recommend they look for? Yeah, I think uh, what Barry mentioned, and what we talked about earlier, that's the importance that, that you know, a good, sharp disc opener. <clears throat> so I can rely on that disc opener to, uh, to cut through that residue better. I don't have to rely on, that's what the no-till folder in theory, the idea was that, you know, that's why guys still will run that because, they can run that, you know, a sharp no-till colder, really narrow ripple blade, something that can cut through there. But, uh, I mean, it, it works in spots, but then what Barry mentioned early in the morning where there's some dew, we're going to have issues with it not wanting to cut through and want to push. It'll want to start plugging and kind of plowing the slot out. So I would prefer to rely on, so I'm going to keep going to, is, but prefer to rely on just good, sharp disc openers that can cut through that and not hairpin. Uh, that's that's what we're after and that uh, kind of that transition period that uh, we were talking about where we we burn it down and it's starting to die but it's not quite brittle and falling apart yet can be pretty challenging especially early in the morning where there's some heavier dew that's when it's going to want to start wrapping on everything anything with a tooth anything with a spike or anything it's going to want to start trying to catch that and wrap up on the road unit so just making sure that uh really the timing i mean sometimes we have to get up there and get it done but just be aware of anything with the, those kind of spikes or something like that is probably going to want to start the wrap so just be conscious of that get out and check it and uh make sure that we're able to to cut through that slot and that's that's the big thing hair pinning the key is that we want to avoid that now barry for farmers planting into a cover crop that is still growing what specific things would you tell them to look for well the a lot of people are moving to that. And, you know, there comes a point in time in the spring of the year, you know, like right now, if people are terminating their cover crops, we're still before the, the, the crop insurance planting date. So it's, it's highly likely that those cover crops are going to break down and get nice and crispy. But there comes a point in the spring, you know, if we get, if we get some rains and get set back a little bit and that cover crop stops growing, you know, I, I always use like my, my shin or my knee as, a, as an indicator, but as, as there comes a point in time where your planter performance will actually be better planting green uh, because a standing cover crop has less, less of that ropiness, you know, it, it, and it'll feed through the planter a lot better. 
So, but as the season goes on, that biomass is accumulating, it's accumulating and roots. It's not only accumulating above ground, but below ground. And so now we've got this really dense network of roots and things like that. And intuitively, uh, you know, we, we may we may think that we've got to really crank down uh, uh, down pressure and all this kind of stuff. But more than anything, we, we might want to consider planting deeper. Most of the no-till farmers that's been planting, especially that's been planting in cover crops for a long time, we, we drop our depth just a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe instead of an inch and a half, it's two and a half inches, maybe an, even as deep as three inches sometimes. And what that does for us is it gets us down into that that root mass, it makes sure that our planter depth, you know, those sensors are sensing the depth uh, as it rolls, you know, those gauge wheels are rolling across more biomass. So there's, so we've got to make sure that we're still getting the, the seed dropped at that depth that we want, but, but the depth actually gives us more soil to work with as far as closing the, the seed slot behind. And that, you know, that, that extra soil allows that closing wheel to to pinch pinch that closed a little bit better and so as we as we get more biomass you know this biomass accumulation is happening quickly this time of year so you know a lot of a lot of people are going to wind up planting green whether they intended to or not and so you just have to to make sure you're really watching uh your your depth control and your closing of that seed slot and i know a AJ's looked at a lot of different seed slot closers. And, and I know personally, I'm, I'm a big fan of a seed slot, you know, a closing wheel that has its own weight. And uh, I don't want spring tension to be the only thing that's helping me close that seed slot, especially in that, a lot of that growthy biomass. Uh, I, I, I want the weight of the closing wheel to help close because if I have to depend on spring tension, it's actually working against my down pressure on my seeds, my seed uh, depth placement. So, so I, I, I don't want, you know, my closing operation to be working against my depth control uh, sensors and, and everything else. So, so I know AJ, you, you've looked at a lot of the seed slot closing and you may have some different thoughts on this as well. Yeah, no, I'm going to agree with you on that. Also, the, the heavier the wheel, especially with the, the more mass that we have, the heavier the soil, like get into a, a heavier clay soil versus sandier soil. I'm going to need more mass on the wheel to get that slot to close. And that's what a lot of guys have done in the past is keep the same wheel, but they'll, like you said, they'll move, you know, the T handle and the tail piece down to, you know, the lower fourth notch where it's putting on a lot of down pressure. But a lot of guys don't realize how much, how much weight that's actually taken away from the row unit. It's getting all that leverage to close the slot from the row unit. So when you go down to that fourth notch, a lot of times with the standard spring, when you're pulling anywhere 60 to 80 pounds of weight away from the row unit, and if you don't have like if you don't have that down pressure system that's sensing that, that's adjusting on the go, uh, it you've just pulled 80 pounds of weight. So you're getting the slot closed, but more than likely you've also shallowed your seed dip, and you're not consistent. Which is that's kind of what both of us I think are getting at across the, the planter. We need consistency across the entire toolbar, across the entire frame, and I need consistency of seed placement from you know, row one to the other end, and then both ends of the field. It's all about that consistency. And we've just seen more consistency with a heavier wheel. I mean, even just a cast OEM wheel, um, which a lot of times when we look at going green, uh, 
that's one that, you know, we kind of keep in the back pocket if we have to use it, uh, going to a heavier cast uh, planter wheel that's going to be <clears throat> heavy. It doesn't have it doesn't have that tooth built into it where I can break up the compaction, but it's going to get the spot closed. So if I go and, and plant with a cast or a smooth wheel, it's going to close the slot almost every time. But I've got to make sure that when I close that slot, that when the sun comes out, it doesn't just pop right back open, which is pretty common to see, which is why I like, you know, a heavy wheel with a little bit of tooth uh, built into it, just a short tooth. Um, There's some brands out there that do a good job with that. Uh, and then, um, especially if we get in like the, the heavier green, uh, any, as we mentioned, any kind of tooth that's either on the trash wheel, that's on the closed wheel, if you get into that heavier, tighter green, that's where it's going to want to start wrapping. So a lot of times if we've got, you know, trash wheels on the planter uh, and we've been, you know, planting into burnt down cover crops year after year and it's worked out well, uh, if we're going into a green, it, whether it's by choice or by necessity just because it got wet and we couldn't get out there, uh, which was our first experience with it. A lot of times we'll end up taking the trash wheel completely off the row unit. Um, so I wouldn't be afraid to do that as long as I've got good, as we keep saying, good sharp disc openers that can cut through that tall residue. Uh, yeah, then we'll take off the trash wheels, let the disc openers cut through it. Because those trash wheels, a lot of times, I mean, I've even taken them uh, from the lower setting where they're rubbing and they're actually getting into the the top of the soil, moving the residue like they're supposed to, and then we'll move them all the way up to the highs they'll go. And when you're going into rye that's, you know, four to six feet tall, it doesn't matter how high you get those up on the planter row unit, they're still going to catch that rye, pull it, start wrapping, and it just, it can really be a challenge. I mean, to the point where uh, we've had to take it in the shop, you know, in the middle of the night, two in the morning, and we're taking off, unbolting the trash wheels so we can keep going uh, late. So, but yeah, I wouldn't be afraid to take off the trash wheels on the planter. Not many guys will say that, but um, that's been something that's, that's worked out well. And sometimes the only solution for us to be able to get through the fields. Yeah, AJ, I would, I would, I've been known, you know, even on my smaller planter, I'll, I'll, I've been known to take those, those trash wheels completely off when I get into the taller, the taller uh, cover crop. And, you know, just, just last spring, I was doing a lot of trainings around. So, so I was, I missed an early planting window. So by the time I got back, I was planting some pretty big stuff and, and I just wound up having to take those, those row cleaners off. It just, it just helped everything about this. I wasn't having to ever worry about anything wrapping. Cause like you said, they're still up there grabbing some of that residue. Uh, mm -hmm. even if I've got them all the way lifted as high as they'll go. So yeah, yeah that's, for, that, that's pretty yeah. common. For a guy that's supposed to be selling uh, planter attachments, going around and telling everybody that they need to take off the row cleaners and, and uh, doesn't always go over too well with with some people. But I mean, it's one of those things if I sell, you know, brand new row cleaners and they're, you know, three, 400 bucks a row and they start wrapping and are, at, you know, two in the morning, if you're out ripping all the stuff off the row cleaners I sold you, you're not gonna be too happy with me. So yeah, that's, we always try to be upfront about that, that you know, and be honest if, if you're going to get there in that tall stuff, there's really not many rope cleaners that we can run into a setup like that that are not going to want to just constantly keep pulling and wrapping. And uh, that's and that can be one thing a guy's first year with cover crops or even the second year. And if it goes and he tries getting out there into it and he's always out there, you know, cutting off the cover crop or trying to keep it more than likely uh, he's not going to be doing using cover crops next year. 
so that's what we were always trying to avoid and and you know i've we've made these mistakes i've been through it and hopefully if uh, if we can get somebody else to avoid making these mistakes too that's that's the goal yeah, and I, I don't want to scare anybody. I, uh, it's rare. Most of the time at corn planting time, that cover crop's not so so big and growthy that that you can't slide right through, even with your with, with your row cleaners. But just know that as the season goes on, you got to make some game time decisions that that helps you. You, you still got to keep that planter going, and and you know, and sometimes you have to make some decisions that aren't always, you know desirable but but it you can still wind up with a really good stand of corn uh Uh you know if you make these game time adjustments you're listening to the hat soil health podcast presented by the conservation cropping systems initiative learn more at ccsin.org who's your ag today chief meteorologist ryan martin says that his forecast for april is a bit drier which i think is good news for getting out there and then getting planted but if things do turn and we get a lot of wet weather, what do you recommend, Barry? Well, for corn, uh, you know, if, if that cover crop's getting big, one of the things, you know, we talk about how important nitrogen uh, in our starter fertilizer is. And uh, so, you know, especially if we've got something like cereal rye out there that's going to really be using a lot of, of, of the soil supplied nitrogen early on, then that's a time when I'm going to start thinking about increasing the amount of nitrogen, you know, that I'm putting on as starter. And if I get to a certain point, you know, a lot of these planters are set up as a two by two. And uh, that's when I'm going to want to move that over just a little further from the row, you know, so, so, uh, you know, if, if that's how your planter is set up, then, then as you get up into you know, 40, 50, even 60 pounds of, of, of nitrogen in your starter, you're just going to want to move that off your road just a little bit. And I know uh, uh, a lot of guys have gone away from the, the true two by two to just splitting uh, the nitrogen out the back. And so you got a half rate on each side, and that's probably a little less likely to cause salt damage to your corn in that scenario uh, than putting it down in the two by two low you know, uh, location. So, but, but having more nitrogen, just think about what, who's the first feeder to the trough for that, for that spring soil supplied, uh, nitrogen and the, and the, in the spring, the soil is supplying most of the nitrogen. And so if, if you've got that really green growing cover crop, those roots are already established that it, it's going to grab up a lot of that early nitrogen so that's where starter nitrogen uh, on your planter becomes a bigger play, and uh, and at, at, that's at the you know uh, at the same time that, that you want that corn plant to come out of the ground and and uh, you know at, at at its early growth stages you you don't want it to want for anything if at all possible. So that's that's where you can offset some of that nitrogen tie up by a little early starter. Now, I think, I don't think you have to add more total nitrogen in this scenario, but, but you might want more nitrogen early in the season. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Um, and even guys that don't have fertilizer on the planter or 
the two by two, they've taken it off or it doesn't work. Even we've seen guys switch to just using a, uh, like a stainless tube and kind of dribbling on top. Uh, there's no soil engagement. So I, I mean, in a perfect world, I'd, <clears throat> I'd, I'd rather get the nitrogen under the soil surface and incorporate it a little bit, but even just dribbling it on top of the row offset, you know, an inch or so on both sides, uh, or even some guys will make their own stainless steel tube bolted on the back of the tailpiece, and it'll actually uh, dribble on, you know, some 28 uh, sulfate on top of the soil uh, behind the closing wheels, and then keep it, you know, an inch away from the center of that that slot. But that gives us a, an option to get some fertilizer, some nitrogen out there. Uh, the infuro is really, I mean, <clears throat> pretty critical because. Uh, as Barry mentioned, we've got the cover crops there. You know, they've tied up some of that fertilite, that the nutrients, uh, which is what we want, especially where, you know, Starkey's are in Brownsburg, and we've got the, uh, we're always monitoring the watershed. We're always monitoring the water coming off the field, and we've seen, a, you know, a big decrease in the amount of nutrients coming off because they're tied up in that cover crop, and which is good. That's why, you know, we have it there. But at the same time, we've got to realize when the seed gets in the ground, those nutrients aren't as available as they are in other systems. So... <clears throat> Like Barry said, not necessarily increasing the total amount of in, but just the timing. Trying to get a little more on up front has been uh, has been really a, a big a big game changer and worked really well for a lot of guys. And even just a simple, you know, those tubes you can make yourself. You can buy a, you know, a tube for I think they're forty or fifty bucks, pretty cheap per row. And then just trying to come up with you know a lower cost delivery system and a tank and uh, a, a kit can be put together pretty easily. Uh, and then uh, just put it on a flat rate even or something like that is, has been what a lot of guys have gone to. And that's really saved, saved a lot of guys in a year like that where it does, if it does get really, start to get really wet. Yeah, and, and uh, if you're dribbling it on top right behind the closing wheels, especially if you've got, you know, those closing wheels with a kind of a finger to them or, or, or you know, just a little bit of a edge to them, they're disturbing the soil right there at the closing. And if you're dribbling right in that zone, I don't think you have the evaporation lost in this particular system like you would if it was just bare soil and you were throwing uh, liquid nitrogen yeah. on the surface. It, it, it's down there where it's kind of protected from, from evaporation a little bit. It's not as bad as maybe we once thought it was, uh, you know, when we were, you know, anybody that, that, talks about nitrogen management, talks about surface application having high risk for loss. However, we are, you know, we've got all this cover crop, we've got this biomass, we're putting it right behind some kind of disturbed soil, right right behind those uh, closing wheels. So that's, that's not a bad option. Another option for a lot of farmers though, too, is say I don't have any fertil starter fertilizer at all, but I'm still, it's go time. We, we, with guidance equipment that we have, uh, I, I know a lot of producers that, that can just with, with good guidance equipment, come back with a real early side dress, you know, that, that maybe adjust that side dress operation just a little bit so that it's, it's closer to the row. It's not dead, dead in the middle, you know, of, in the bulks, but, but you're, you're a little tighter to the row with guidance equipment. This technology has enabled us to do a lot of things that, that, that we couldn't do just a few years ago. And so, so there's, there's a lot of options, but you're going to want some early, you're going to want to move some of your nitrogen application earlier so that that, that young seedling never wants for anything as it's determining its ear size. Yeah. 
As we wrap up our time here on the Hat Soil Health Podcast, Barry, I'll start with you. Uh, any final uh, recommendations, suggestions, anything for farmers as they get ready to go out here and uh, get to planting here soon? Well, watch your speed is, is one that I always look at. Now, I know a lot of farmers are using the belt uh, seed delivery system that, that allows you to plant faster. Just, just keep in mind that in, in this no-till system and in a no-till with cover crop system, you, you still want every seed placed exactly the same depth. And even with you know, uh, a, you know, a, a sensor and a computer-driven down pressure system that can change in, in sub-inch increments almost or sub-second in increments, uh, High speed is still something that that it's it's going to cause a little bit of variation in in your depth depth control. So so just just make sure speed you know you, you, slowing down always will give that planter time to rest down on its on the the gauge wheels and and assure every seed is is placed the same depth. So so seed is seeding is uh, the speed is is something that is a a universal. Uh, compensator for for some other things that really helps us keep good good seed depth but uh, the other thing is keep in mind your ultimate goal and your ultimate goal is is improving that soil function over time and having that no-till and having that cover crop don't don't try not to panic you know uh, when things start getting wet or things start getting awry and, and um, I, I see a lot of people pull out a disc, for example, and, and seldom is that, is that the best way to get your best stand is to disc down this, this cover crop biomass. Uh, you're, you're going to be better off to, to wait and, and get that seed planted, uh, in, in the best environment as it can. But, 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 um, uh, our ultimate goal is to improve the overall soil function over time. And this system is very capable of doing that. And uh, uh, just have some confidence, have some pre-planning, and and have your backup plans ready to go uh, for whatever the the climate and the weather gives us. And AJ, how about you? Any final recommendations? Yeah, and something uh, I was going to say earlier when the uh, what Barry mentioned there, don't panic, and that's what we see a lot of times, and uh, especially for guys that are getting into cover crops new, uh, just starting to do it. They've got you know a plan. Plan A, we're going to get it burnt down when it's 12, you know, less than 24 inches tall, <clears throat> but it gets wet and it starts growing and they can't get out there and spray it and they get nervous because it starts, you know, we'll see cereal rye go from <clears throat> that 24 inches to, you know, four feet in no time. If it starts warming up and getting wet and that was our, you know, first experience uh, there at Sarkey's was with cereal rye. We had plan A, we were going to burn it, wasn't going to be an issue. Uh, well, it switched wet that spring and it got warm and that cereal eye just exploded. <clears throat> so we got nervous about it. Uh, the goal, we were going to go out and burn it as soon as we got a chance to get any taller. And that's where we see some issues. If a guy goes out, it gets, you know, three, four feet tall and you just try to spray it and burn it down and then it falls and mats up. That's going to be a big challenge with the planter. Um, it's going to be a lot easier to go through that rye, even if it gets into that five, six feet tall. Uh, easier to go through and move the rye, the stems out of the way with the planter uh, when it's standing up versus when it all falls down and mats up because it's just going to be a constant challenge to try to cut through that mat of rye. It's going to be wet, really sticky under there and hard to get through there. And 
that's where really the big when a guy calls <clears throat> in season when a guy calls and tells me that he's just sprayed it burnt it down I know I'm gonna have, that's gonna be a field visit I'm gonna have to be out there we're gonna have to do everything we can to get that planner set up right to be able to go through that so that's something that you know as Barry mentioned do not panic talk to neighbors talk to somebody that's been doing it for a while let them kind of talk you off that cliff a little bit uh, and we can get through it it can get done um, we've all made the mistakes and it can be done as far as uh, last minute you know just when we're going to the field setting up the the down pressure and that's actually I'm on my way today to set up a new I draw down pressure on a planner uh, a new Wi-Fi control system and it's got the latest and greatest all the technology but even these new systems guys call we get it all installed on there and they call when they go to the field and they want uh, <clears throat> us they want the manufacturer the sales guy whoever the install guy to tell them what number do i put on the monitor for gauge reading and that's not something i have not found anybody that's been able to say you know exactly what number they can give you a range to start at but it's up to you in the field to get out there get out of the tractor and check it because you can go all season and the tractor, you know, the iPad, the monitor, all shows green, everything's perfect, it's working beautiful. But the stand behind there, you can have some inconsistencies in depth. And uh, so the monitors can tell you only so much. Uh, you actually have to still get out there. And I haven't found a system yet where you can spend as much money as you want and not have to get out of the tractor and check everything. I mean, even on our, you know, some of the newer systems that we're running and that I'm out with, it's still that first day is still a good half a day of adjusting and checking digging um, the easiest way for me Barry may have a different way of setting uh, uh, the gauge wheel load or trying to find what down pressure setting will usually I'll take off uh, the either pin up the uh, closing wheel bracket or just remove the closing wheels off of a couple rows say row one and then somewhere in the middle of the planter row 12 or row eight something like that and then I will do some some quick short and back uh, set the planter down and come in off of an end row and uh, that gives me we'll do that leave the planer down go back and check and see what the slot looks like if it's like concrete you know if it's hard it's not falling in at all maybe a little too heavy on the down pressure if i go back there in the slot uh, without the closing wheel hitting it is falling in on top of the seed probably not enough gauge wheel loads so we need to add some more we used to go back and we would actually leave the planer on the ground and check the gauge wheel and see how much tension is on it but a lot of times when we do that and stop and then when the tractor rolls back it actually puts a little more gauge wheel load on that uh the row unit than when it's actually in the field so i mean there's a lot of different ways of doing it um the most consistent for me has just been removing that closing wheel that's a good time to check my clutches if we've got clutches on the row unit even for the fertilizer uh, we can adjust the start stop time uh, so that's a good time when you're coming in off that in row uh, count the seed and it's right there the slot hasn't been closed so you can see exactly where the seed is because I mean, we used to spend, I'd spend a good half a day trying to get that start stop time adjusted on the clutch just right. And then would finally, you know, I'd fight that all year. And now that we just take off the closing wheels and I can see it in that first field, it really, uh, I know throughout the entire year, uh, as long as the operators stay in the same, it should be pretty consistent uh, going through there. So, but yeah, we've, we've gone through and adjusted that start stop time and finally get it dialed in, you know, the last day and then of planting after you know two weeks of doing it and it's just constantly fighting but taking the first day taking some time do not do it next to the the shop do not do it next to the home place because people are going to see that in the field and they're going to see that start you adjusting your start stop time and it's going to be something you're going to be looking at all season so 
go out in the middle, you know, back behind the woods, somewhere where they can't see you and do it all back there get it dialed in but take some time you don't have to even if conditions are right and the neighbors are running everybody's out in the field to slow down uh get out there it's easier to do it and you know if every field you've got is planted in cover crops that's great if you've got some fields that don't have you know mature covers or you can get into a spot where you don't have a great stand of cover crops go out there and do it there uh digging into you know three four foot tall cereal rye or 24 inch tall annual rye grass with vetch it's not the most fun thing to do uh, when you're trying to find the, the seed. But, um, yeah, that would be getting the down pressure set, even if it's an airbag, if it's a spring, if it's a brand-new hydraulic, most expensive down pressure system you can get on there, still get out there and dig. I could have two planters in the same field set up identical with, you know, two of the exact same hydraulic down pressure units, and both of them sometimes will end up having a different uh, gauge wheel setting on that planner and just the way it works and the way that the sensors are on there. A lot of times those numbers are different. Every little, every planner is different on there. So just be aware of that. Um, you can't, don't call me and expect me to tell you exactly what number to put on the monitor. They're all going to be different. You're going to have to get out and do the dig. That's AJ Adkins, Barry Fisher here as well. AJ, one more time, your website for people to go to. Yeah. NTM ag equipment. NTM actually stands for a uh, uh, need to meet. Uh, when we started the company, uh, there weren't a lot of companies, um, businesses out there that were setting up planters specifically for uh, planting into cover crop and no-till. Uh, so that was, I really have no idea how I came up with it, but uh, a need to meet. So ntmagequipment.com. Very good. And Barry, you mentioned that you just started a consulting uh, business as well. Is there a way that folks can get in touch with you? Yeah, just uh, email me at uh, fishersoilhealth at gmail.com. Very good. Barry, AJ, thank you so much for joining us on the Hat Soil Health Podcast. We appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you, Eric. Thanks, Eric. And that does it for this edition of the Hat Soil Health Podcast, presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. You can learn more about CCSI and find a calendar of events at ccsin.org. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. Glad to have you along. We'll do it again soon. This has been a production of Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's Farm Network.